Uh, let's all stand together as we reverence the reading of God's Word, our message today. I call, Think on These, from Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. Very famous passage, but still speaks. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, Whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. May God bless the reading of his word today as my prayer. You may be seated. Think on these. Our message this morning will consider some, obviously not all, but some of what the Bible teaches about thinking. Thinking. I did a bit of looking around this week on the subject in American life today, basically asking the questions, are Americans a thinking people? And I asked Google, and Google told me, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, are Americans are thinking people? Now, there may have been a time over the last year or so where you read something or heard something or saw somebody say something with a straight face, and you thought, what are they thinking? You know, what are they thinking? Are they thinking? Really? Uh, Does anybody really think for themselves anymore? Uh, Part of what I've read uh, this week suggested that thinking for ourselves is a part of our problem, actually. Because we live in a world often called the world of post-truth. Post-truth. If nothing can be standardized, if there is no reliable source of truth, if nothing can really be trusted and everything from dictionaries to doctors and professors and preachers are changing the meaning of all sorts of things, then we're left to make up our own truth for ourselves. And that's exactly what is happening in our world. Whether you want to call it a post-truth world or whatever, that's exactly what's happening Uh, The Bible long ago asked the question, if the foundations be destroyed, what shall the righteous do? It wasn't talking about the foundation of your house. It was talking about the foundations of truth upon which any culture is based and has always been based. If the foundations be destroyed, what will the righteous do? Way back in 1961... I found a man named Daniel Borstein. I didn't know anything about him other than his name. And he wrote a bunch of books. He embraced communism as a young man early in life before turning away from it to become a well-known conservative. Uh, He became a director, I think, at one time of the Library of Congress. He was a very renowned professor and writer. But he wrote this back in 1961. He said, we risk being the first people in history to have been able to make their illusions so vivid, so persuasive, so realistic that they can live in them. 1961, Daniel Borstein. Well, 60 years later, we don't talk about the risk anymore. Because the fact is that multitudes of Americans are living out a reality that isn't real anywhere except in their own imaginations. And yet they've become so vivid, so real to them, 
that they feel real, they think they are real. And as you and I well know, God help the person who dares to tell them they're not real. As disturbing as this is and as foreboding as it is for our future, it's even more disturbing to see how many Christians are living out of faith that is not rooted in truth. The Jewish believers in Berea were called noble in Acts chapter 17 because they listened to the preaching and teaching of the Apostle Paul and yet they searched the scriptures daily for themselves to see whether these things were true. This is something sadly lacking oftentimes in America. Today the idea of is what somebody is saying true? Is what they are doing right? Is it based on scripture? These ideas are outdated and antiquated. American Christians oftentimes in the churches who serve them are more likely to ask about how it makes me feel. Uh, Is this working? That is, emotionalism and pragmatism at its best. Everything is filtered by feeling these days. How does it feel? How does it make me feel? And that's on both sides, by the way, of the pulpit. And by the way, I'm, I'm talking about in American Christianity as a whole, there's a lot of people who approach their whole faith based on how it feels and the People on this side of the pulpit know that. And so they very carefully craft their product to make you feel good. That's a lot of what's going on in American culture today. So against this loss of truth as a standard and the backdrop then correspondingly, the explosion of information that we have available to us 24-7, the bombardment that we are getting from all sides, and especially from those who live a reality that isn't real. We see the truth of our text then today. And it begins with a command. And that's where our message is going to begin this morning. A command. Think. (laughs) Think. Think. It uh, comes across lightly in English, but it comes across heavily in the Greek language in which this was originally written. Think is an imperative. It could uh, almost carry an exclamation point. Think. Think. If there be any virtue in praise, Paul had asked, and the implication of that is, of course, to answer it. To ask that question is to answer it. Is there any virtue? Are there things that are virtuous? Are there things that are praiseworthy and commendable? And the answer to that question is yes. There are things that are virtuous, praiseworthy, and commendable. Uh, are there then also things that are glorious? Are, are, if there be things that are uh, virtuous and praiseworthy. Uh, and yes, yes there is. The opposite then is also true. There are things that are not virtuous. Things that are by the very nature that are evil and wrong. Now we might say, well that goes without saying. <laughs> In America today it never goes without saying. Uh, Yes, there are things that are right, that are true and honest and trustworthy, virtuous, commendable, praiseworthy. 
And there are things that can be condemned, things that are glorious, things that give God praise. That we can see someone doing that and say, that's good. But then there are also things that we look at that are not that. Since this is true, since there are things that are praiseworthy, since there are things that are virtuous and commendable, then comes the command. If there be anything like that, then what do we have to do? (laughs) Think. Think. It's a Greek word from which our word logic is derived. And though our understanding of biblical truth is certainly based on what we believe, this is not a mindless faith. In fact, God gloriously invites us to reason together with him. Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18, very famously, an uh, invitation existed by, or given out by God. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Remember, this is an introduction to a message that God was sending through the prophet Isaiah centuries and centuries ago. And what does it tell them? God called on them to make a thoughtful choice. Come now and let us reason together. God called them to make a thoughtful choice, a reasoned decision. They had sinned against God. That's obvious from the text. They had sinned. And so God was giving them an invitation. Let's think about this. This comes across the centuries to us because they had sinned against God. So have we. God was writing to offer them a way of forgiveness and pardon for their sins. God still offers that today. Amen. We've sinned, and yet God offers a way of forgiveness and pardon. He offered them then a different course of action to take because if they continued on the course of action that they were taking, it was inevitable that they were going to experience God's judgment on their life, both nationally and personally. But it didn't have to be that way because God said, make a choice, make a thoughtful decision. There's a different path to follow, one That will cause you to eat the good of the land. That is, you'll be blessed. You'll have a blessed life. But if you don't, you're going to fall by the sword. Judgment is coming. God still makes those same offers. This was not a command given to unbelievers when God said, Come now and let us reason together. He was talking to his own people. God does have some things to to say to those who are rejecters of God, who reject Him. Romans chapter 1 and verse 28 is one passage that come quickly to mind. And even as they did not, not like to retain God in their knowledge. What an amazing statement that is. They did not like to retain God in their knowledge. So that the thought of God was not going to dominate their mind. Thought of the existence of God was not something they were going to allow to determine how they lived or what they did. Since they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, 
God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. We got a little gift for Christmas this year. When I unwrapped it, it wasn't mine, by the way. I, I do unwrap other people's gifts sometimes. <laughs> this was a heated vest, and I wanted to try it out to see if it worked. And uh, I pulled out the instruction manual, and it was written in Chinese. Now, I don't know Chinese. He said, well, surely there was an English version. And if it was, I couldn't find it. I just had to look at the pictures and kind of make it go as best I could. And that's fine. It did work. I, I, uh, the things of God are written in a language that lost people cannot read or understand. They're spiritually discerned. And because of that, the, the spiritual truths of God are just declared to be foolishness. They just look like a... Bunch of stuff they can't read. Had no capacity to know them. God spoke of the lost also. Those who had rejected him, turned away from him. 1 Corinthians 1.21 about their mind. For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. Interesting word there. It's our word agnostic. They did not know God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Oh, I love that passage. God sends out preachers, calls them to preach the gospel, proclaim gospel truth. And as he does that, those people who have closed their mind to God because they don't like to think of them, those people then whose mind has been devised so it is full of evil and terrible things, those people who have turned away from God have no capacity to understand God. And yet it is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ that is able to penetrate their blindness and their foolishness and their mindset of rejection. And if they respond and receive the gospel, they'll be gloriously and eternally saved. And if they reject it, they deal with the consequences. Come now and let us reason together. You see, we must move today beyond a faith that only makes us feel good. God invites us to reason together, to think, and to think carefully. There is virtuous behavior there are things that are praiseworthy there are things that are good and honorable these are things that go beyond just an emotional thrill but as we need as a people to move beyond just uh, the emotional response of things and our emotional responses to worship at the same way we don't need to become cold rationalistic or ritualistic in our religious expressions, between those extremes is where the powerful truth of God is at work. And we're going to have to approach it thoughtfully. And God tells us to think, think, think. Long ago, Jesus told a woman at a well in ancient Samaria that God is seeking people to worship him in spirit and in what? Truth, yeah. Jesus promised in John chapter 8 that we would know the truth and the truth would set us free. 
In John chapter 17, verse 17, Jesus said, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. The command then to think, that's a big one. But then there's a condition. Think on these, these things. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these, think on these things. And the first one, of course, not coincidentally, is truth. And remember, Jesus said, thy word is truth. In our world where there is so much contradictory information, it is wonderful to anchor down into this great statement made by Jesus Christ himself. Thy word is truth. I've lived all of my life believing that the Bible is the word of God. Uh, Long before I could read, it was read to me by my mother and my grandmother who read the Word of God to me. And they read it to me in just that way. This is God's Word to us. As I was able then to learn how to read, I began to read it myself. I've lived my whole life based on a very simple and yet profound foundation. Thy Word is truth. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my Word will not pass away. Word of God. Now, all of us are considering some things maybe we need to do differently today. I would suggest that probably a lot of us are thinking we need to drop a few pounds. A lot of us probably thinking about it. Maybe a bunch, maybe a few. Maybe we want to spend our money more carefully, invest more shrewdly, pay off more debt. But whatever it is, we need a plan to follow. <laughs> And then we need to follow the plan. One of the greatest things we all need to do is spend more time reading God's book. Think on these things. What is it? Number one, truth. What is truth? That's the word of God. You don't have to read the Bible starting in the book of Genesis. Remember, the Bible is a collection of 66 books. And so each book can stand alone. Uh, pick out one and read it. Uh, start with Third John if you want to. Second John, First John. Uh, you can read those real quick. Read the Gospel of John. It's a great place to start. It it tells us all about why Jesus is the Son of God. That's foundational truth for us. Read the Bible. You say, Well, I don't know much about the Bible. Start reading it. It's difficult to be a people who think deeply if we do not read. The very fact that God wrote his book for us should tell us that God is pro-literacy. He wrote a book and said, read it. Read it. This is my book. It's written down for you. It was true that Long before the Bible was written down, it was told and retold stories. That is true, and that's handy because we still to this day encounter uh, cultures that are not able to read. 
And thank God for the work of Wycliffe and others who are going into these unreached people groups and oftentimes having to write down their language and then teach them how to read it so they can put the Bible then in their language. It's a long and laborious process, but it's still going on. The very fact that God wrote a book, the Bible, His book, His Word, implies that He intends for us to read. I don't read much, you say. Start. I don't know what to start with. (laughs) Start with the Word of God. What better thing to read? The greatest story that's ever been told, the greatest message, the greatest book that's ever been written is God's Word, the Bible. Whatsoever things are true, Whatsoever things are honest, this refers to things that are honorable or respectable. It is an application of truth then that is worth listening to. Something venerable, venerated, something honorable, something that we consider to be heavy or weighty. Or, if you prefer, something that matters. I don't know Pokemon. I don't. Some of you kids gasp. I heard it. (gasps) I don't know Pokemon. Don't know anything about him. I don't know what he does. Don't know what he's supposed to do. I don't know. I do know that for a while, people were pulling up in our parking lot and parking out here in front of our church for a little while. I finally figured out that what they were doing was looking for Pokemon. So I started every time I saw one of them pull up out there, I'd go out and knock on the window and say, Hey, I'm Pastor here, Brother Rich. Glad to have you here in our parking lot. Why are you here? We're looking for Pokemon. I said, It ought to tell you something. Pokemon goes to church here. <laughs> now, he's never showed up on our visitor list, and he's certainly not a member. I don't know anything about him. I'm not going to spend the time to learn. No offense, I'm not. I don't see how it's going to help my life at all. I don't see how it's going to make me stronger or better. It's going to have any impact on my life at all. You see, some things you can know, but they really don't matter. The Word of God matters. It's honorable, it is venerable, it is something that is worth learning and something that is worth listening to. We contemplate then things that are just, things that are true and honest, things that are just. These are things that are approved of God. Like Paul told the young preacher Timothy, study to show thyself approved unto God. Things that God approves of. It's a life then that is concerned about the things that God said for us to do and the things that God tells us not to do. We think on things then that are true and honest, just, pure. Things that are noble and chaste as opposed to things that are vile, evil, and sinful. There are a lot of things that we can think about And spend our time on looking at, watching, reading, listening to that are not going to do anything but clog up the arteries of our spiritual brains. That's all they're going to do. 
They're not just evil, although they are evil. The fact is, they're just not worth thinking about. They're a waste of time. A waste of good mental energy. And so the Bible says, think about things that are pure. And that leans hard on the next description, which is lovely. Lovely. Have you noticed how there are many things that in, in life that are absolutely beautiful? Uh, I'll tell you what. Then there are things that are just so corrupted and depraved. Sin has a profound effect on humanity on every level. And sometimes the vile nature of sin affects how people look both inside and out. It, it defiles their appearance. It sullies their character. And so those things there that are pure then are also lovely. Then there are those things that are vile and evil and that turn us into something vile and evil too. Then there are the things that are of good report. This is the word we get our word euphemism from. A euphemism is a nice way of saying something that is difficult. We might say, for example, so-and-so passed away. That's because we don't like to say so-and-so's dead. We might say so-and-so's with Jesus. That's a euphemism. It's a nice way of saying something. It's just as true either way. It's true they passed away? Yes. Is it true that they're with Jesus? Yes. Is it true that they're dead? Yes. All of those things are equally true. We try to say them in a nice way. In this context, then, the word refers to things that we choose that are better. Choosing the better path. A more noble path. You see, life would be pretty simple most of the time if it was just a choice between what is bad and what is good. But oftentimes, some of the most complicated questions and issues we have are between what is something that is good and yet something that's not God's best or something maybe that is God's best. And so we have then this word that tells us to think about those things, think about ways then that we can choose those things that are of a good report, things that are better, things that are best. We can get absolutely obsessed today thinking about what every different group in American culture is doing. No matter what it is that you think what your viewpoint is on anything, you can find a news station that will cater to it 24-7. And they will blow you up with one story. After you click on one, they'll show you a hundred more just like it because they map those things. And they will fill up your brain and fill up your time with all of this outrage over what everybody's doing and what everybody's thinking and what everybody is saying. All it's going to do is get you mad and keep you from sleeping at night there is an alternative we can devote ourselves to living out the truth of this passage not only is there a command to think but also there's a condition think on these things and when we do when we think and then think on these there's a guaranteed outcome and the guaranteed outcome I call the certainty of renewal. Of renewal. I want you to look at a few passages. 
Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What an incredible passage. That you may prove then what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Ephesians 4.22, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. One more passage, Colossians 3.10. And you put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Oh, wow. What a great statement that is. To be renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. I wish I had the time today to develop that passage and just talk more about how this passage tells us that all of the other definitions in our life that we might use to identify ourselves are all overwhelmed by this incredible truth. We are a new creation in Jesus Christ. And we have been renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. That is, we're becoming like Jesus Christ. I bring you these passages today, and I could have given you a half a dozen more and many more, in fact, than that. To show you that this concept of renewing our minds is not something isolated to just one passage of Scripture. It is something that the Bible addresses again and again and again. Any athlete can tell you about what they call muscle memory. Muscle memory. If you're involved in athletics of any kind, you know what it is. It is that process by which you train yourself to behave in a certain way, to do a certain, a certain way, to swing a golf club a certain way, to shoot a bowl a certain way. It is muscle memory. It is ingrained in you deeply so that it becomes a habit. It's not something you think about. When you go to do it, you do it that way. It's what athletics is all about. They, they take, that's what they're ingraining in you. If you ever played basketball, when they make, make you shoot 100 free throws every day before you leave. Why? They want you to get that form down and have it down. Muscle memory, they talked about. Some of you aren't athletics, uh, athletes, so uh, hadn't been involved in athletics much. So let me go in another direction. Let's talk about the memory of our appetites. Let's talk about that one. All of us have an appetite. <laughs> We've exercised it pretty heavily over the last few days, if you're like me. And... Uh, uh, but you get hungry about the same time of day every day. You ever notice that? You know, you, you sit down to eat a good meal, and then all of a sudden, some of you, I'm not one of these people for the most part, but some of you at the end of it say, mm, man, I need something sweet. And you got a cookie? Mm, what is that? Need a cookie? Now, now, you're not still hungry. You've already filled yourself, but uh, you just need that little something sweet. What is that? that, that that's, that's your appetite memory at work. Now, you do know, of course, that muscles don't have memories. You, you do know, of course, that your stomach doesn't have a memory either. What has a memory? Your brain does. You see, it is the brain then that is conditioned to think in certain ways, uh, to tell our bodies to do certain things. 
Uh, it's our fleshly desires are triggered by the brain. I don't even have time today to get into all the things that are addictive because the brain gets them, the brain likes them, and it wants some more of them. It's the brain. But the problem runs even deeper. It's not just how the brain is conditioned towards certain things, although it is. We can find ourselves getting into predictable thought patterns as our mind becomes rooted in negativity, for example. You ever known anybody that's just completely negative all the time? Criticism. That's another one. Pride. It's one of the easiest ones to fall into. And the opposite, self-loathing or self-doubt. All of these become conditioned ways that we think so that it's like an automatic thing with us. We just think this way. And somebody presents something, we're against it. Somebody wants something, we see everything that's wrong with it. What is that? It's a conditioning in our mind. That's part of it. We also have experiences. All of us do. And especially the negative ones, we tend to relive over and over again. We can find ourselves just repeating that grievance. Somebody grieved us. Somebody hurt our feelings. Some bad thing that happened to us. Some difficult thing. Some, something ugly somebody said. Something evil somebody did. And we can just take those things and go over them again and again and again and again in our minds and magnify them far beyond what they ever really were or should be. We can end up reliving those things over and over again and allow them to even become a dominant feature of our life so that we can't get past them. We can convince ourselves that we can never get over them. They can never be any different because this happened to me Many times they often end up being used to fuel addictions and addictive behavior. All of these are things that cause us sometimes to need renewal in our mind. Our mind needs to change. You see, if we want to change, we're going to have to change our mind. And in a way, you see, when, when God told us to think on these things, the first thing was truth. In a way, all the others are just an outgrowth of that first one. All of them, all of them are things that we find in the Word of God that are spelled out for us, put down plainly for us. How do you think on these things? We think on these things by considering, studying, reading, thinking about God's truth. I'm not here this morning to tell you that a chapter a day will keep the devil away. I'm not going to tell you that. But I am here today to tell you that God's word has the power to change the way you think. To renew the spirit of your mind. And that is no small thing. God's word has the power to renew your mind. 
I am here to tell you that the world and everything it has to offer you, according to Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, that the world and everything it has to offer you is trying to squeeze you into its mold and make you miserable and defeated. But if you think on these things, God's truth, it can transform your life as it renews your mind. You say, Brother Rich, do you really believe that the Word of God can change my life? Yes. Why? Because the Bible says it. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. How do we do that? We do that by learning God's truth, thinking on it. Considering it, meditating it, it renews our mind. It changes the way we think and what we think about. And it changes our life. I'm here to tell you that as God renews our mind then, as we think on these things, that we can change our old behavior. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 22 told us, we read this earlier, and it told us that this, the, the desires of the flesh grows corrupt. They grow. You know what that means? That means the longer we let those lustful, evil desires and all the things they go, the longer we let them have a free rent in our mind and in our heart, they're not going to get better. They get worse. They get worse. And they get worse as you get older. You think, well, when I get old, I won't do this. No, it won't. It'll, it'll get worse. They grow corrupt. That was Ephesians 4.12. Look it up for yourself. They grow corrupt. Kind of a gangrene of the heart and the mind and the soul. But we can take action against it. As God renews our minds and we think on these things, then we have that life of Christ that is working in us. And so I'm here also to tell you that as God renews our mind, He makes it more into the image of Christ who created us. There's something that happens when we're saved because the Bible says the old things have passed away and behold, all things become new. But there's also something that continues to happen in us as we grow in our understanding of the truth of God as He has revealed it to us. As we think on these things, it continues to work. It continues to work on us to change us and make us more like Jesus. What do we think about? Well, the first thing is think. The second thing is what do you think about? Um, by the way, uh, there's a word called amuse, amuse, as in amusements. You know, amuse means to think, ah means not. So there's a whole, whole category of stuff in the world that's designed to keep you from thinking. And for all you young folks, just being an old gray-headed man, let me just tell you, a big part of those things are the things you operate like this. All they're doing is trying to keep you from thinking. God wants you to think. Use your mind. 
And not just numb it down with something that doesn't make any difference. Think. Things that are true. Thy word is true. Things that are honorable. Things that are important that matter. Things that are just that are approved to God. Things that are pure and chaste. Things that are lovely. Things that are of good report. I want to warn you this morning and also encourage you. God wrote his book for us. You're not going to sit down and read it as a thoughtless exercise. God didn't write a comic book. This is something you're going to have to think about. You won't go far reading the Bible to where you're going to see something and say, Man, I don't understand it. Keep looking. There are things that God wrote in this book that are complicated and difficult. Yes, <laughs> He sure did. Why? So we'll think. You got to think if you're going to read the Bible. And if you do it, it will change you by changing the way you think. Let's stand together, please.